God, why do you allow this sort of suffering and this sadness and this hurt? And it was a long journey. I, I, I was in high school, and I, I wrestled with God, wrestled with um, you know what I what I believe and what I understand about the world. And uh, I and when I was when I was a senior, my grandma passed away, and uh, at her bedside, for one reason or another, I felt like God was calling me to ministry. And so at her deathbed, I said, God, I would commit my life to serving you. Um, it was after that, and I really didn't even tell my parents that that's what I did. I mean, I just went there on my own about a week before she had passed away. And uh, it was then after her passing that my parents asked me to do her funeral. And I'm sure that I fumbled through it. And we just did a graveside memorial. And it was just a small thing in southern Michigan. We went down and we, we did the funeral. And I, I'm sure it was just terrible. But uh, I was a bumbling mess throughout all of it. And I talked of her being a Proverbs 31 woman. And I just sort of fumbled through it, hoping to offer comfort to, uh, to my family and to those gathered around. And it was that moment that really clarified my call that the ministry for me would be to try and comfort people. The ministry would be about helping people know that Jesus Christ loves them and cares deeply for them. And I hope that that never stops beating in my heart. This morning's text is a text that is read frequently at funerals. It's one that has inspired and comfort and encouragement and strength for generation after generation of Christians who wonder about what is next, who wonder about loss, who grieve and have experienced someone that they have loved passing away. And Paul writes these words to us so that we would be a people who do not grieve who are, uh, as those who are without hope, but that we would face loss and face hurt and face suffering knowing that God is greater than the suffering in this world, that he entered into the suffering on the cross and that he rose victorious from the grave. And it's that gospel that streams through our bloods, uh, through our veins, and it's in our blood to love Christ know that he is victorious over sin and death. As I was thinking and reflecting on this, uh, this text for us, um, you know, I was doing my sermon prep on Facebook, and I saw this uh, picture, and that was a little joke. Uh, go ahead and uh, post it. Uh, there are two people on that screen that have been parents to me. Uh, their names are Mike and Kim Babcock, and they are on the right. And Mike, um, Mike and Kim... Uh, we, uh, I grew up with them as kind of second parents. If we went camping as a family, Mike and Kim and their kids, they went with us. They're, uh, they're two amazing servants of Christ. And, uh, and this picture, as you look at it, I mean, their smiling faces and the joy on their face is just incredible, and I, I love them so much. And then the gentleman on their left, uh, or on, their, on our left there, on Mike's right, is... His name is David, David Terrell. And David has been in ministry for 60 years. He's served at the same church for 60 years. And 
this picture just struck me uh, because uh, these smiling faces, um, this isn't necessarily a fellowship dinner after church service. This is a fellowship meal after David, um, after a funeral for his wife. This text needs illustrated, and I can't find a better illustration of what it means to be a people who are comforted by the gospel. To be a people who do not grieve as those who are without hope, but have this hope established deep within them because Jesus Christ is Lord and King. And so these words are written to us to comfort us so that we can gather together in a gymnasium after a long loved one has passed away we can have hope and we can smile and we can feel okay about it and if that is a weird thing to you that's okay because it is weird it is weird that we can look at death and uh, his wife David's wife Phyllis she passed away and she had cancer and she left behind they had they have tons of kids and there's this amazing funeral I watched part of it and they have all of the children and the stage like their family would fill our sanctuary and they're all on the stage and they're all singing of the goodness of God. How do you arrive at singing at the goodness of God in the face of death, in the face of cancer, in the face of all of the suffering and all of the sadness in our world? First Thessalonians points us. Points us in the direction of hope, in the direction of comfort and love reading from 1 Thessalonians 4 13 brothers and sisters we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope for we believe that Jesus died and he rose again and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him according to the Lord's word we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Paul tells us to encourage one another with these words, and then unfortunately, this set of scripture has been used um, for a great deal of confusion and problems. I simply want to approach this text this morning with the supremacy of Christ over death, over sin, to make the world new. And here's the comfort that we have in each, uh, kind of each step of the way. The first thing that jumps off the page is those who are asleep in death. Jesus Christ transformed, transforms the world's view on death. It is no longer a permanent state. Jesus is victorious over death. He would constantly come up to situations and say, oh no, they're not dead, they're sleeping. Jesus and the power of the resurrection transforms our view on death. There's merely sleep. And there's wild debates about all of that. What happens when you die? 
what's it like. Um, I can point you to 20 books on a shelf in the Christian bookstore, and they're probably all wrong. The truth is, is we don't know. We don't know what's next. And anyone who claims that they do, I question that. But what we can know with certainty is, is that in the power of Jesus Christ, whatever is next is not permanent. And whatever is next is not something that uh, Jesus is incapable of healing and bringing about restoration and reconciling. That whatever might come, Jesus is Lord over all. And so we enter into uh, this perspective of trusting that whatever is next is peaceful because Christ is there with us. I had an uncle, a great uncle, and I was just a little kid. And he faced death's door. They pronounced him dead. And we, like, he came back to life. And, and he, we sat with him, my mom and I, and we were talking to him. And he said, my whole life I feared death, and then I faced it, and it was peaceful. That's only available for Christians. It's only available for those who trust their life in Christ and trust in whatever is to come, there can be peace in what is next. But we trust and we know that Jesus has transformed death into this mere perspective of they're just sleeping, and they'll be woke again, and they will be alive, and they will be new, this is the trust that we put in the resurrection of Christ. For we believe that Jesus died and that he rose again. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. I don't know how all of this works. I wish I did, but I don't. But Jesus is going to bring those who have fallen asleep with him. This is comforting to us. Because people, they would wonder, like, was all of this for naught? The early Christians, when, when people were dying, it was just like, well, wait a minute. Jesus said he was coming back, and he hasn't shown up yet. So how is all of this going down? And Paul's trying to make sense of it, and he's saying, you keep living faithfully, and trust and know that those who have lived faithful lives are with Jesus still. And this hasn't been broken, and this bond hasn't been broken because Jesus entered into death, and he's alive still. Does that make sense? Hopefully this is all comforting reminders of what we have in Christ. And according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will, per- will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. And for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with a loud voice of the archangel, and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air so we will be with the Lord forever. Now you can imagine there's no shortage of opinions and thoughts on what all is going on in this text. If you believe in the rapture, this is the text that you would turn to and say, this is the reason why there's a rapture. And this is what I think is going on in the text. When Christ returns, there's going to be a loud command. And the loud command will call us up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The words that are used there are specific for a people who are being called out and welcomed to go and greet a new dignitary or a, a returning king. If you were to imagine that um, that um, uh, that Jesus were to return right now, this moment, 
and Jesus was down at the bottom of the vestibule. Would you all just sit and sort of chill out right here, or would you go out and go say hi to him? When we see Christ return, we are seeing a royal dignitary, uh, the king of all kings, coming and returning, and we're not going to want to keep our feet on the ground. And we're going, we're going to go and meet him in the air. And the rest of Scripture points us to that we're not just going to be chilling out in the clouds. As much as little Jordan thought that's what was going down, like I imagine a slide in clouds. and It was pretty cool, you know. Um, and I want that for you. Um, you know, if you splash into the clouds, like what would that be like? Anyways, I'm a little digressed only slightly. But the hope is, is that Jesus is going to come and the rest of Scripture points to the reconciliation and the forgiveness and the renewal of all things. He is making a new heaven and a new earth in which he dwells with us. And so we're not hanging out in the clouds and we aren't disappearing. We are coming back to the earth where Jesus Christ will reign victorious and Jesus Christ will be our king and all things will be made new and everything that was broken by sin will now be healed and every tear will be wiped from our eyes and all of sin will be done away with and there will be a new heaven and a new earth in which you have a home with him. That's Revelation 21 and I'm reading it pretty literally on 21 saying that there's a new heaven and a new earth in which Christ reigns. This is the thing that beats in my heart of a forever hope that God will make all things new there's this question, and I, I, I love this question, and it was posed to a missionary who was in Africa, and he was serving in a Bible college, and one of his students, he was addressing this text, and one of his students raised his hands, and they asked the question, when the trumpet sounds and the Lord gives his commands, what is he going to say? What is Jesus going to say? What is the loud command going to be that Jesus gives? And the missionary, he thought for a moment, and he, he thought, well, the Bible doesn't say, so I probably shouldn't say what, it, what the Lord will say. Right? And, you know, just sort of pass it off, or maybe ask a question in return. Professors are good at asking questions to our own questions. And then he, he immediately thought about all of the villages that he had just wandered through, and he saw all of the poverty, and he saw all of the sickness, and he saw all the brokenness of the world. And he said to the student, he said, you know what, I don't know for certain, but I imagine the Lord Jesus, his command will be enough. That the Lord will command and he will look at all of his creation and he will say, I have had enough of the sin, I've had enough of the brokenness, I've had enough of the poverty, I've had enough of the cancer, I've had enough of all of the hurt, and all the separation, and all of the suffering, and all the sadness of our world. I've had enough. And I want to make this world new. And I want to bring it to you. And I want to bring your good, uh, goodness and grace and mercy and love. And he's going to bring his presence. And he is going to eradicate sin and eradicate death. And, death, and he's going to say, enough. And I think we need to look forward to the day that Jesus says, that's enough. I'm coming for you enough in healing the brokenness and healing the sickness and giving us hope I don't know if that's true but I imagine it's pretty close to the heart of God that he would want to make our world right 
invite you to be a part of it. Paul is trying to encourage a group of people who are wandering and wondering if all of the persecution and all the suffering and all the death and all of the things that they're facing, can they keep hanging on? Can they keep their faith going? Can they keep walking with him and trusting in him? And he's trying to encourage them along and saying, yes, we know that those you have loved, they face persecution and even death. But trust the Lord know that he's coming for you. He's making the world right. And he concludes his letter. I believe he's, he's each sort of section he gives us an urging an encouragement and a comfort. And while this part has been a comfort then he sort of encourages us along. I'm going to read the rest of it highlight it really quickly now brothers and sisters about the times and dates we do not need to write you for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on pregnant women and they will not escape if you're buying books about the end times and how it's happening um every single one of those books that's ever been published has been wrong. So if you're just wasting money, just give it to me, okay? Uh, no, no, that's terrible. <laughs> the, uh, I had a great professor, uh, his name's Johnny Presley, and he said, I imagine that the Lord will return on a day that no one's predicting. Fair enough. Um, but then my brain, my wheels start turning. It's like, well, Johnny, you just made it so that any day that happens, then you've predicted it, and now he's not going to come back. But uh, I have a weird brain. Um, but I think he's on to something. We, we're not going to decipher it. And anyone who claims to know this knows something that Paul and Jesus didn't know. And that's pretty high. Uh, that's pretty prideful. But you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You guys are in the light, he's saying. You are children of the light and you are children of the day and we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night and those who are, get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. I'm going to read it again. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. That is our hope. That is the story of Scripture. That is all of it right there together. That whether we are alive or dead, no matter what, every breath we take and every breath we don't, we are with the Lord and we walk with Him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. So as encouragement, live your life in the Lord and live faithfully in Him. And this is how He urges us then to live up to that calling. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. 
live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, uh, disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continuously. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's our will in Christ Jesus, is to rejoice, is to pray and give thanks. You wake up in the morning, you wonder, what am I supposed to do today in the Lord? You are to rejoice, you are to pray, and you are to give thanks. In every circumstance, rejoice and praise and give thanks, because Christ Jesus is victorious over all. Let that be your heartbeat every day to rejoice and pray and give thanks. And do not quench the spirit, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all, hold on to what is good, and reject every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful he will do it. May all of you, may all of your spirit, may all of your soul, may all of your strength, may all that you are and all that makes you up be sanctified through and through. What kind of journey are you on with Christ? Have you been at it for a really long time or is it just getting started? No matter where you're at on the journey, the invitation is is that you'd be sanctified. And that's a $20 word to say, that you would become more like Christ. That you would have more of his love, that you'd have more of his graciousness and kindness and love pouring out of your life. Will you be sanctified through and through? May your whole spirit and your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. favorite verse in all of this is verse 24. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. The one who called Abraham was faithful. The one who called Moses was faithful. The one who called David is faithful. The one who called Isaiah was faithful. The one who called Jeremiah was faithful. And the one who was calling you faithful. The one who is calling you, Mike, is faithful. He's starting to nod off. I woke him up. The one who's calling you, Tim, is faithful. The one who is calling you, Ashley and Zach, is faithful. The one who is calling you is calling you home. He's calling you to rejoice and to pray and give thanks. He's calling you to serve and love. He's calling you to love him and seek him with your whole heart. He's calling you to wake up each morning and giving thanks and rejoicing and praying with him. That whole praying continuously thing, I I thought for the longest time that I have to be the chatterbox, keep God busy with my work. I'm not so good at talking to him all day, but I really want to get good at listening to him all day. 
one who's calling you is faithful. No matter where you're at, no matter how broken, and no matter how much you might hurt in the sadness of our world, there's one who's calling you who is faithful to take Abraham and Sarah and start a nation from them, faithful to take Moses and use him to deliver them from the mighty power of Pharaoh, faithful to take David and to conquer many enemies, faithful to take you, to lead you, to care for you, to love you, calls you is faithful and he will do it let's pray Heavenly Father we love you and we look forward to the day that your son would give the loudest of shouts and the greatest of commands whatever you might say we know it will be good news for us who are your children have given our hearts to you. And Father, we trust and we know that whatever sorrow we might face and whatever hurt we have, you are greater. And we thank you for transforming death into life. God, that you would teach us every day of the power of your gospel that has overcome sin and death, that has welcomed us into your kingdom. And Lord, we look forward to the day that we would look to the clouds and we would see you coming. And we would know that the world is being made new. And so Lord, we, we say the prayer of the closing book of Scripture. And the last words, Lord, are sufficient for us. Lord Jesus, come. Spirit and the bride say, Come. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, pray for us and greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers sisters. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is the conclusion of our First Thessalonians series. I look forward to our Christmas series over the next couple of weeks. There's a simple prayer at the very end. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ